All right. Um, thanks for joining today. I am so excited for this first Friday live. Now, for those of you joining in, you might see that um, this face of the with me Jordan might look a little bit different than Guy who's been on our advertisement and Guy's been out sick this week and he actually told me he lost his voice so probably doing a live event is not going to be good. Instead we're, we're blessed to have Jordan. Um, Jordan works on Guy's team as a portfolio manager as well and is actually more involved you know really involved in the day-to-day -day investment aspects of it. So welcome Jordan. Thanks for joining, joining us today. Yeah thanks for thanks for having me. Hopefully I can uh do guide justice here. <laughs> I'm sure you will, you know, and we'll, we'll try to make sure that we make you feel good so you can come on again, right? <laughs> For sure. So, so uh, you know, with 2021 coming on, I think every time we are at the beginning of a new year, people are asking, you know, what's gonna happen? What do we see with the market? And I think this year is even probably more so because we just came from like a crazy, I think 2020 was probably one of the most crazy years that any of us can remember for a while, right? Not just trading, but like all around. Mm -hmm. So let's as we go through this we're gonna just gonna kind of walk through like a quick agenda so we're gonna talk about the market update what's been going on what what you see Jordan what's going out out there and you know at least a couple key areas um, also there's been a lot in the news recently with uh, stuff that's going on with investing in schemes and, and stuff like that so we're gonna cover all those things interest rates are low and so that brings up a whole other set of questions when it comes to investing in bonds and other alternatives we'll talk about those things um, to and just to as is now is the time you're probably getting 1099s for taxes you might have been getting you know 1099s for your investment so as we kind of get through it we'll also talk about some ways you know we, we can't really do anything about the 1099 you have um, for your investments for 2020 but the great thing is we're starting a new year and we want to talk about some tax efficiency in your investing at that point too so let's just kind of kick it off and start from the beginning so Jordan, as we enter 2021 and it's been like you know, all this kind of craziness, what what do you see for the market, at least right now? Is it stable? Are we going to see a lot of volatility or some of, some of the key areas that you kind of are looking at? Sure, sure. So I think the easiest way to summarize it is generally I'm optimistic. I mean, if you take a step back and just look at what happened last year, um, there are a lot of reasons the market should have been down. Um, obviously, two clear examples is the pandemic uh, and the political uncertainty around the election. Um, but the market was up 18%. Uh, that was not just up, that was a pretty strong year. On average, markets are up nine to 10% a year. And so what I think all that highlights is generally um, what an accommodative financial you know, backdrop really implies for the overall market. Um, you know, the Federal Reserve, in terms of monetary policy, um, you know, the Congress in terms of what they're doing on the fiscal stimulus side, um, you know, all that's generally good for stocks and that it's good for the economy, it's good for earnings, and uh, generally they make stocks relatively more attractive than other you know, financial assets. And so as we enter this year, a lot of that's still in play. Um, you know, the Fed's on hold on, on lower rates. Um, you know, we're hearing more conversations about more stimulus. Um, and so that's, that's all still in play. And then what I would say is different this year is we're probably going to get more widespread participation. Again, remember last year, I noted the market was up 18%, but five stocks were up 60%. The other 495 were up like 10%. Another thing to note is growth stocks were up massively, over 30%. Value stocks were essentially flat. And so I think this year it'll be a little different. I think this year you'll get broader participation. And it's a function of you know what we generally expect in terms of an economic reopening. 
right? Um, we've got a lot of positive news flows that relates to vaccines. Generally speaking, based on who you talk to by mid 2021, we'll probably get to a point of, you know, herd immunity, maybe it's a little later in the year, but the point is markets trade ahead of that, right? And so what usually happens is what you'll see is, you know, potentially a, a stronger participation from cyclical stocks, stronger participation from value stocks, Generally, those types of areas that are, are tied to kind of a you know a stronger economy. Uh, and, and Jordan, you're Jordan, can you just um, as I'm listening, can you just explain like cyclical? Cycl cyclical, sure. Yes, can you just explain that those type of stocks and what you're reading? So, sick, there's basically two broader categories of stocks as you think through this: cyclical and defensive. So defensive would be things you'd buy no matter how the economy is doing, like toothpaste. I really would hope you'd buy that at every point in time. Um, but cyclical things would be things more like cars. Um, and so generally speaking, cyclical sectors are things like financials that do better in certain interest rates, environments, materials and industrial sectors, uh, energy sectors, uh, things of that sort, um, generally a bit more tied to the economy. And so when I say broader participation, as we get an economic reopening, you'll generally have imp an improving growth outlook, especially relative to the level we set last year. And that should generally, um, you know, allow some of these value stocks, some of these non big tech stocks to sort of participate. And one of the points I just wanted to make is, you know, since the third quarter, the end of the third quarter, we've gotten a lot of headlines around vaccines, whether it was the efficacy rate initially or the fact that they're starting to get deployed. Um, you know, since that point in time, value stocks are up 17%. Growth stocks are up 15, uh, 15%. The market's 16%. That's broad diversified sort of participation. And I think there's more of that to come um, um, in the new year. Um, so, you know, I think generally optimistic about the market, but you know, I wouldn't be so um, obviously arrogant to say that anyone could predict the future. And so in terms of how we're positioned this year, um, you know, we want to make sure we're diversified. And what we've largely kind of messaged to our clients in terms of the way we're positioning them is sort of a barbell strategy where you have basically, you know, growth and cyclical stocks on one side. We've added exposure to some of those sectors I suggested, uh, but you still want to maintain exposure to some of those sector growers. One, if the COVID, um, you know, COVID stays with us a little longer than expected, but also growth stocks are probably still great, uh, really well positioned in the long term. Because once we're past all of this, you know, COVID related stuff, there will be, you know, we'll probably still be in a relatively low interest rate environment, a relatively low growth, GDP growth environment. And those things generally favor um, growth stocks. And so that's, you know, that's the outlook and that's the, the current positioning. Okay. And hopefully it'll work out. Yeah, and I think that um, Guy says a lot of times don't fight the Fed, and so you know all this other stuff is one thing. But it, you just kind of mentioned that the Fed has already come out and said that where the interest rates are going to stay for a while, so that should kind of give a little bit of stability um, to the things that you're talking about in the other areas, just because of that. Or is that kind of how you look at it too? I'm, I assume, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, Guy and I talk a lot. We definitely exchange views, and and the Fed is a is a big part of it. And I think you could see that based on what happened. Um, you know, last year. And that's still in the playbook uh, uh, going forward. Now, look, um, things could change. There are always risks on the horizon. Um, common things that people talk about are high levels of valuation. Obviously, COVID is unpredictable. 
Um, you know, there could potentially be changes in legislation, things like taxes. Um, but these are things you could you could potentially manage around. We have to, you know, make sure to continue to monitor those items. Um, and as facts change, you know, opinions change, positions change, position, positioning changes. Um, and all that generally means is, you know, our approach, our active approach, you know, hopefully continues to allow our clients to participate in equity markets, which is the number one thing, but um, to do so in a, in a risk uh, managed way. Yeah, and I think that you just added a good point, and I just want to bring this up a little bit because you said a couple things. One is like, hey, I'm not going to be arrogant enough to predict the future, and that you're trying to get returns with a risk managed way. So, if we were to just flip back of the calendar a year, you know, I think if we were sitting here last February, the beginning of 2020, none of us, I mean, predicted or saw what, what came in March. I mean, I think it threw us all like, oh my gosh, what what happened? And so, I think that's important to know is that. Um, how you're managing it, not, you know, you also said it's important to be um, diversified, which I think is true, but a lot of times people think, well, I just have all these different funds, therefore I'm diversified, or it says I have a 60-40 split, so I'm, you know, I'm good and I'm diversified, and, and that really, a lot of times as we get into it, and Guy, and I'm sure you've probably done some on the back line when we do this, we'll look at a portfolio, and they might have five funds, and all funds are exactly the same, and so just because you have a bunch of funds, doesn't mean you're diversified okay it just means you have different funds um right. and the other thing is it's a really important like not all management is the same and so when you guys are talking and, and guy and we have some um videos that we did longer with guy on, on all your philosophies but you use a lot of individual a lot of individual stacks and bonds and securities um because then you're you're taking more advantage of it versus just you know kind of putting it and, and you're managing it towards what's happening i think this is key when you're managing someone's portfolio um, this is the, what's different about you managing it versus it being in funds is if it's in funds, the funds are being managed based on their perspectives, right? Based on what has to happen. When you're managing someone's portfolio, you're managing it based on two things. One, what is going on right now? Okay. Of all these things you just mentioned. Now you guys, I know that you and Guy and the team have adjusted portfolios to, to match what you see going on. And then two is the second element uh, on each individual. If somebody's taken retirement income now, we, you make sure that there's things set aside so that that income is going to be secure, so it's not quality related. So you're you're managing based on what's happening in the market, in the like in our economy, in the country, but also based on um, that individual. And I think when you have funds, you can't do that. Nor can you add some of the risk-adjusted things. And so, yep. you know, I don't want to get into a lot of detail. We can we can relate back to some of guys' thing. But can you just want to just talk about maybe a few ways on how you look at that and. Even in an example, um, I know like you mentioned like five stocks had like 60% returns last year and I'm guessing Amazon was one of those ones. Um, and right. how do you manage them? So you got those gains, like what are some of the things you do inside the portfolio to protect the gains that you have? You know? Yeah, sure. So I think that's a, a good, a good, a good um, way to talk about how we really manage uh, around an individual client need. And so last year was, was pretty unique. I, I talked about how um, or I, generally, there were a lot of winners and losers. Uh, um, um, there were some subset of stocks that did very well; others not, not, not did not participate quite as much. Um, and what that generally results in over time for a particular client is, you know, if the client's not managing those individual stocks or those individual positions, those winners can get very large. Uh, this the and and result in a undiversified portfolio that's you know 
reliant on some sort of individual company and poses some company specific risk. And so we try to manage around those things. And just uh, a quick data point. I mean, if you own an ETF, you're not necessarily managing this risk. And just as an example, if you own the S&P 500 growth ETF, the top 40, the top five stocks account for 40% of that portfolio. That's not diversified. And if you let something like last year continue to ride, you know, that's where the Apples become very big, the Microsofts become very big, et cetera, et cetera. And so, um, you know, there are a lot of ways uh, um, we can manage around that risk. Um, so, for example, if a client had a, you know, a stock that turned into a rel relatively large position, um, you know, you hold on to it and obviously you have that company specific risk. Uh, but if you sell it, uh, you obviously have a big tax gain, right? So it's almost like a catch 22. And so to manage around those things, one thing we could do is proactively manage around stop losses. Uh, and so in this particular instance, a stop loss is a particular trade that basically triggers a sale if a stock price moves below a certain uh, point. And so we'll analyze a stock from a technical perspective. We'll figure out where levels of support are and we'll play, uh, place a stop, stop uh, loss at that level. So if the stock price falls below it, for example, um, it would be um, automatically uh, sold. And so in that way, you kind of limit the potential losses in that particular stock. Now you can manage that over time as well. So as the stock continues to move up, it'll pre uh, presumably develop other areas of support and we can track that up over time to continue to make sure the client in this particular instance, you know, um, gains exposure to the upside, but limits the downside risk. And that's particularly important for a pretty, you know, significantly sized uh, position with embedded taxable uh, uh, gains. Um, another option is options. Um, you can always buy insurance. Um, this is a bit more complicated, but long story short is you buy something called a put. It would, you pay up front for it. Um, that's called a premium. Um, you buy that put and it gives you the right to sell it at a certain level if it falls below that level. Um, and so if it does, you've protected the downside because you can sell at that current level. Um, another thing you could do is potentially instead of selling that stock, you could sell the put you bought, which would now in theory have a higher price. Uh, and so in many ways you hedged the decline in the stock, but you didn't actually have to sell it. So you don't pay that tax consequence. What you end up doing is you pay the smaller level of tax that you generated on the, the options trade. Um, so there are a lot of different things you can do for an individual client. And we, we have these conversations on a, on a very frequent basis as it relates to kind of helping them manage around their unique scenarios and building a diversified portfolio around it. Yeah, I know that a guy and I, and I'm sure you were in the background too with this, just recently with a client this year, when we moved over earlier in the year, he had a really high position in one company stock that he had worked with. He had worked with that company forever. He, he liked, he's made a lot of money on it forever. And he's like, you know, I'm getting to the point, he'd kind of like to not have quite so much exposure in that, but it was like, I just wanted to get up to a certain point, you know? So that stock did tremendous. It did like an 80% gain. It's a good like, problem to have. It's a good problem, right? You know, so then, um, you know, that was where the conversation came in. And I think this is where it's great to have, you know, some he uh, this client doesn't necessarily want to get in all the technicals, but he understands this. And guy called and just said, hey, here's what we think we should do. I mean, we might take a little bit of the gains off, like sold a little bit of that stock. Um, and then put some other protections that you were talking in place on the other bit. So now we have it. So I think that's other a good key because sometimes it's not like an all or nothing. It's not like, oh, we sell everything. Like, 
and just do this. It's just managing it around it. And then if you're building the portfolio, that's going to happen sometimes inside of that portfolio. And it's all those things that you're doing behind the scenes. And so what I really like is about working with you guys and having Guy and you as portfolio managers um, and the team there is that if I have somebody who wants to get into all the technicals, mm-hmm. jump on the phone and get into it. Um, but for those clients that don't want to, like this is a, a, a nice little video to say, hey, see, these are all the things that are going on in the background behind what you do. And so it's important to know this because if you have a portfolio that just has a bunch of funds, none of this is happening in the background. Um, and so those funds are greatest. You know, the reason they were kind of created is to get you a broad exposure, right, with a little investment. So people that are starting out right and and putting money in and they don't have a lot using funds is great because you're getting some of that exposure but what we find with our especially clients as they're getting closer to retirement or in retirement or they've built these sizable portfolios we can now better manage get get still the same smart like um, actually probably better diversification in a smarter way more tax conscious more risk management conscious than you can in the funds so the funds have their place but as we talk about this, a lot of the tools that work, what we're doing, what you're doing, can't be done in the fund. Um, and what you were saying with the taxes too, you know, you might have a high gain, and this is something that I know that uh, we've talked about quite a bit. And I will link a, a talk that Guy and I did just specifically around this. But just to mention it quickly again, because I'm sure people have 1099s, you know, this year from investments, is sometimes when you have funds. And this is going to give it more than we're going to get into. So watch that video. But you'll get these, you know, that fund company, you know, that whatever ETF, they had all this Amazon and people are selling their fund. Well, they ended up having to sell Amazon inside that fund. So even though you didn't sell your fund, you get passed through gains. You ended up paying taxes because they sold Amazon at a high, you know, at at least part of it. And it comes back and it flows through to you. So um, the client. So I know what we do as the team here is when you have all these individual positions, you're looking and if you have something growing over here that's got like a really high, you know, this Apple or Amazon and it's high, right? Got a lot of taxable gains. You might also look for things that aren't doing as well or things that we can maybe swap out and take a loss so that we can offset a gain at some point. So at the end of the year, you're not getting this big pin 99, especially I kind of call it like it's not a phantom tax, but it seems like it's you because you didn't realize any of these gains. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just in the in the fund. And so you're in the paying taxes on gains that you, quote unquote, didn't really realize it was just passed through to you. So right. That's a big thing you guys yeah, do. no, that's a that's a great example. And, um, you know, we, we we do that throughout the year. But then towards the, the tail end of years, we, we, you know, go back and cross our T's and dot our I's and make sure that our clients are doing things in the most efficient tax uh, 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 taxable way. And so a quick example would be energy this year, right? Energy had a tough year, um, but um, that's not to say we don't want any exposure to it, right? Uh, uh, because in the event of a reopening, like we're seeing now, and like we've seen since the end of September, um, those stocks have done well. And so what we actually did um, in, uh, in early October was we ended up pairing back or selling out of a number of energy stocks that realized, you know, 35% losses in some times. But we put that money right back into, you know, an energy ETF as an example. And those that energy ETF is up something like 40% uh, so far, right? And that's in a number of months. So it's great that one, we were able to take that opportunity to realize that loss 
because it was used to offset some of the gains and maybe some of the other tech stocks we owned. But we were still able to maintain that exposure and participate in that cyclical reopening trade that we were very focused on kind of making sure we had exposure to. Yeah, and I think that's a great great tool to be able to utilize, especially, again, this is mainly for, you know, accounts that are not in an IRA or Roth, of mm -hmm. course, but right. um, a lot of people have those accounts and you don't want to be paying taxes when you can <coughs> smartly avoid it, I guess, right? Yep. So, <coughs> sorry about that. So a couple just last points, you know, we talked a little bit about the Fed. Well, actually, I'm going to skip for a second and, and you're talking about some of the strategies for risk management. I just have to bring it up quick because there's all these things on the news, right? Talking mm -hmm. about like GameStop was mentioned and TDD or Ameritrade's name is mentioned, you know, and different things like that. And I think the average person doesn't quite understand how it works and what's going on. And in a nutshell, it, can you just, you know, give us, I, I don't want to get into the details on who's good, who's bad, but it's really something that maybe they, maybe they shouldn't have done or they should have did wrong or kind of got caught. But um, what should the average person think about when it comes to that? Is it something we should be, they should be concerned about or, you know? Uh... So look, it's, a, it's, it's something that's been coming up a lot. A lot of family and friends that basically have never texted me about stocks ever have texted me about GameStop. Uh, so I know it's on a lot of people's uh, radars. And so, you know, what does it mean for the average investor? I mean, let's just take a look at what it means for the market, right? Cause that's where they're sort of, um, you know, invested. And so what happened with GameStop is something called a, a short squeeze. Uh, and to get to the point, for something like that to happen, you need very specific circumstance. You need a heavily shorted stock. And I can go into detail about, you know, what is shorting or what's a short squeeze, um, maybe for another time or, or maybe here, you know, you can leave that. But the point I wanted to make here as it relates to should a client be concerned is this is the backdrop is that this is not a heavily shorted market. What that means is that there's not a lot of opportunity for quote short squeezes because there aren't a lot of heavily shorted stocks. And so to put that in context, um, approximately one and a half percent of the um, median S&P 500 company is currently shorted, right? Uh, that is basically the lowest it's been in two decades, which means that a lot of, there's not a lot of opportunity for that sort of highly volatile sort of activity to occur. And so what that broadly means to me is that there probably doesn't pose a lot of quote market risk. So, so an investor who's concerned and maybe potentially wanting to get on the sidelines, you know, as it relates to that risk, I would urge them to say, you know, just let's take a step back and realize how significant this is. And while you might see, you know, GameStop go from $20 to $500 and now back to $60 or whatever it is, you know, that's not what you're seeing for the overall market. And so, um, again, you know, an opportunity to potentially just give them some comfort and, and help them stay invested. Yeah, and I know like TD Ameritrade was one of the names that was a custodian we use, right? And as a custodian, you know, they got their name in because the, there was some stuff with the, the trading um, or sell, buying some of it. And, you know, you get both of these opinions, um, but I just wanted to kind of point, TD Ameritrade is a strong custodian, right? And um, whatever we can go back and forth on whether they're why they did it or if you think it's right or not it probably protected some people because some people hear something in the news and go i gotta go get in on this and they don't really know what they're doing and what happened with gamestop was that a lot of people there's a few people that would make money and a lot of people that got hurt right or that would lose right right so. yeah i think i think you know the, the comments made by a lot of retail brokers because it wasn't just td um you know it was 
it was Schwab, it was, it was interactive. Um, I think the, the poster child for this was, was Robin Hood. But broadly speaking, yes, there were a lot of restrictions put in place, but I think the broad commentary across all of them was that it was in the interest of mitigating risk for the company and clients, and they did it largely um, you know, in an abundance of caution. I think that was the verbiage used by a lot of these people, and honestly, that all makes um, a lot of sense to me. Um, you know, by restricting trades, as you suggested, brokers were, you know, discouraging some of the retail investors from taking, you know, levered positions in securities that were highly valued and would leave them potentially exposed to, you know, massive pullbacks. Um, you know, and as it relates to, you know, abundance of caution, you can you can look at the balance sheets of these publicly traded, um, you know, retail brokers, brokerage firms. They're strong. They're solid. Uh, and I don't really see it as a concern for them. It's honestly just um, a pretty typical risk management tool. And we saw it heading into the election. You know, into the election, there were some retail brokers that were increasing margin rates uh, uh, to, to control around potential volatility. This is just risk management, like we talked about in many ways. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's important to point it out there. And like I said, you know, so, like we get into the who's behind it and all this and was it that, I mean, some of the tools that were being used are tools that can be used in a good way, but anything that can be used in a good way, people can also use them in a bad way, but it doesn't mean we go, oh my gosh, now the whole thing, the whole world's collapsing. I mean, it just ended up getting in the news a lot this year. So yes. um, if you if you have questions and you want to go further, let us know because we can always just schedule a call and go deeper into that by anybody who wants to. For those of you that just have heard about it, we just kind of wanted to at least bring it around because I don't know who hasn't heard about it at this point. Everyone's heard about it. And let you know that, you know, like if you're with us and you have TD Ameritrade as a strong custodian, you don't need to be worried about that. Um, now, if you're somewhere else, it doesn't matter what custodian we have. Again, um, they might be a strong custodian, but as we already talked about, how it's being managed is different um, throughout the board. So last few points I just want to talk about is we talked about the Federal Reserve being low, interest rates low. That really kind of has an effect on bonds, right? So if we think about it in a really broad sense, you know, I always like look at it on like a teeter-totter where you have interest rates over here and bonds over here, right? So if interest rates go up, bond values go down. If interest rates go down, bond values go up. But the problem is there's really no further for interest rates. I mean, they can't go a whole lot worse, right? And so what that means for bonds is you're not going to, you know, if they move up at all, we're going to see some of the bond. There's not a lot of opportunity in a lot of the bonds right now. And some of them may end up where you don't see as huge volatility or as huge drops. There's there's not also going to be, um, there could be some some smaller volatility or not the gains, at least in the general fund. Um, so I know that just like you guys do specific with stocks, you do specific with bonds. And so do you just want to talk a little bit about, and again, we have a whole series with Guy that goes into the difference between the bonds and bond funds and some of that. but. Would you say that that's something that you guys are really looking at too as a tool that have using the individual bonds versus bond funds and especially in this environment there's still opportunities but you have to know kind of where to walk right yes uh, i think you outlined that perfectly I, I would say step one is bonds are part of a diversified portfolio strategy right and so when you meet with that individual client you determine their particular needs you figure out what the right equity and bond allocation is um, from a risk management perspective, from an income perspective, for all those reasons. For that reason, one, there is a, there is a reason why bonds are in there. Uh, two, you alluded to, yes, you know, there's a teeter-totter with, you know, rates going up and, and bond prices going down and, and vice versa. And if bond rates, you know, 
remains where they are right now, um, then yeah, bond prices would be stable, which is a positive. But generally speaking, it also suggests that they're just paying you a low coupon every quarter, given where interest rates are. Um, thankfully, um, you know, we're not just buying and holding bonds. We're active managers. We're looking for opportunities. Uh, broadly say, speak, uh, speaking, there are you know, three categories or buckets of bonds, right? There are short-term high-quality bonds. There are longer-term high-quality bonds. And then there are like, you know, corporate bonds that, you know, have some sort of credit storyline around them. They all move for different reasons. They all react in different ways, whether it's rates rising, rates decreasing, you know, changes in the overall risk environment. And so the point is just like with an equity portfolio, we can build a diversified portfolio. And just like an equity portfolio, we can manage by you know buying and selling um, um, you know different bonds, we can hopefully try to generate some capital gains as well. So long story short, is as an active manager, um, one we're able to put bonds in the portfolio because long term they provide ballast and potential income. But two, we have a team here that's trading around those as well, investing around those as well, where we see opportunities. And so it's not just the income that a bond investor with us would get; they would presumably get um, you know some capital gains as well. Uh, and so I think generally speaking, we've seen our bonds perform well especially relative to where weights are yeah yeah so again now we'll put this you know in the comments later but check back out some of that uh, the videos that we've done with guy because it goes into in depth about this but i wanted to mention it and then to you on my last blog that i just did a week ago um sometimes we use index annuities so fixed index annuities as a bond alternative as well there was actually um, a report in there by professor how he kind of did a whole study on using utilizing those as that so you can read that too um just again check out all of our last blo our blogs because those are in there and i'll try to put them in the comments of this video as well but you want to make sure that you know there's other options available than just having it in a bond fund so because what i see oftentimes is people will come in and they think oh well, i have 60 40 you know 60 stocks 40 bonds or 50 50 or whatever and they're like oh I'm good now. I'm conservative. I got 50 and, and that's just, there could be a hundred things in that. Right. You know, mm -hmm. it's just like, um, it doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's good. It just means that that's what's there. And so just like you say, hey, I have a balanced lunch, you know, and yeah, but you open that lunch and you know, somebody really has some good food and somebody has some things that, well, maybe they should have been good, but you know, they're, they're old not as good now or they're not fresh or they're not in season or whatever it is right so mm -hmm. trying to think of a quick analogy on there that was the best i came up with but uh, that was never anyway. perfect <laughs> so anyway check that out too so you make sure you don't want to just kind of assume so mm -hmm. the last point i'm going to just bring up really quick is we've had a lot of questions too with gold and silver mm -hmm. um, i know you guys have that as part of your portfolio you have a little bit with like some gold funds gold ETF, mm -hmm. right? so um, just to kind of hedge against the some of the value. I don't know if you yep, want to. That's, it. that's exactly right. So we have a number of equity strategies at United and um, we currently own gold in most of them. And it's probably in those portfolios somewhere around two to 5% uh, of the portfolio. We do it, as you suggested, through um, an ETF, uh, GLD, which is backed by the physical asset. And for that reason, it's pretty highly correlated with the spot price of gold. Um, and the decision to hold gold for us is, is really you know, once again, a risk management tool, um, because at the end of the day, we're looking to provide risk adjusted returns to our clients, you know, giving them more return for the level of risk they're getting. And I think gold is a great tool for something like that. Um, you know, one, it's not quite as economic, it's not economically sensitive. 
Uh, uh, two, it has historically had an inverse relationship with stocks. So that's where the hedge comes in. Um, and then three, there's a hedge as it relates to inflation too. So, um, you know, it's not unusual for gold prices to, you know, rise with bad news like the global pandemic or, you know, drop with good news like the expected, you know, changes in economic growth. Like, But, you know, when you're holding that as part of a portfolio of stocks, for example, that are obviously economically sensitive, there's some risk uh, benefit associated with that. And then the other thing that makes gold particularly interesting here is, you know, given the level of fiscal and monetary policy we've been talking about, um, you know, there are some long-term uh, concerns as it relates to inflation. And generally speaking, gold has a pretty strong track record as it relates to uh, good performance during periods of high inflation. And so for those two reasons, one, it provides a hedge versus stocks, and two, there's potential upside to the extent inflation um, you know, begins to pick up. Uh, uh, those are the, the two primary reasons why we're kind of holding it. And like I said, you know, mid-single-digit sort of position in our property portfolios is currently what we're, what we're holding. Yeah, and I know for those of you that have questions on like buying physical gold and silver coins next next month, so in March for our first Friday Live, we're going to bring on some of our uh, experts in that area on that deal with the physical coins because that can be something too. I know in the last month we've had a couple clients that um, bought you wanted to invest in at least a small amount and percentage you know into the physical coins, and so I think it's great to have it in the portfolio. But we also will have the experts on next week to talk about if you want to own the physical coins. Uh, we'll kind of go through that as well. So, all right, I just want to wrap it up and kind of summarize for today. So we talked about the market this year. Um, you know, as Jordan was saying with the vaccine news and some different things like that, it's, it's done a lot. The market's actually responded really positively to that. We've seen growth. Um, I know that their approach is to have some right guy, Eric Jordan, in, in the value-based stocks and growth-based stocks. Um, as we're kind of going forward and with the fed keeping their rates low we see that that is something that should add some stability to mm -hmm. to the market so um, there's a lot of positives going forward on what the what the it looks like but as always nobody can predict exactly when there's going to be a downturn or news that we didn't know about right things that can happen out of the blue just like covid did last year around this time so um, with that said, Jordan, you know, Guy and the team have built in different protections, um, stop losses, other tools, hedging, so that when the market does take a crash, you just don't follow down. And I think, Jordan, you might want to um, correct me, but last year when the, you know, in, in the, when March, you know, the spring, when it was down like 30%, like, I think your highest growth portfolio was down maybe 15 just because of some of the tools that you utilized and then yeah. you moved back pretty quickly, right? Yeah, it's a diversification, you know, whether it's some of those hedge positions, uh, uh, whether it's stop losses, um, which proactively sell stocks at certain levels, whether it's, you know, the bonds within the portfolio. Um, like I said, they do provide ballast and for that reason, there's help there as well. Um, all those things helped um, our clients. Yeah, so make, I think that's important to know that while we're giving, we, we never, as Jordan said, we're going to say, hey, we're going to protect the future and everything's going to be good and golden. And what we've been saying for years, we always have to make sure we protect against the downside because in all in our honesty, the key to long-term investing is really protecting, you know, not taking the big losses, truthfully. And I think that is more and more key as you, for people that are close to or in retirement um, and making sure that your income secure and correlated with this as well. So I was talking about having all four areas coordinating you know, investments, risk management, you know, cash flow, um, 
taxes and estate preservation. So all those things need to be coordinated, which also brings me to to the taxes, right? If you're getting 1099s on your tax investments, that's something we can't go back and do anything from last year, but you want to proactively be looking at it. So if you have an account that is a non-qualified account, meaning it's not an IRA, not you know, Roth, it's just a brokerage account, that's something we should be looking at, you know, now on how can we manage the taxes in that and, you know, provide risk adjusted returns for this year to kind of, if we can pay less tax, it also in, in, um, maybe while you don't pay it directly from there, it helps with the growth of that fund. So we want to take a look at that. Uh, again, if you just have a bunch in bonds or in bond funds, or I don't care if you have mutual funds or bond funds, we want to take a look to make sure because there's a lot of things that aren't being managed. All the things we talked about today do not exactly apply if you're in just a, whether it's a mutual fund, an ETF fund in, in bonds or um, stocks. So take a look, give us a call. We'll kind of do a review with that. It's important to kind of put that out there um, as in make sure that we're looking at it so that there's other tools available. So anyway, anything else you want to stay as we end here, Jordan? Nope. Not, uh, other than it was a pleasure. Thanks for uh, having me on. Hopefully I did guys some justice there and, uh, you know, happy to do this anytime in the future if, uh, if you're interested. Yeah, you did. You did. Well, we won't tell Guy that how great you did. And I'm sure, he's he watching somewhere. He's probably there. Yeah, but I appreciate your time. I, I love and, and all that you do, um, you and Guy, for our clients, but also you know for our communities like this to be able to just get the information out there and, and really explain what's happening. So if you want to talk to Guy or Jordan and just kind of go on and, and learn a little bit more about the in their works or see what's going on in your portfolio. Uh, make sure you reach out to us and we're going to set that up and do it. We do that at no cost because we believe, and I think this is why we work together, right? Jordan and Guy and I and the team is, we believe you should really know what you have, right? You need to know, not just like I have X, Y, Z fund, like what is it? What type of risks you have? What type of, you know, are you really diversified? Uh, what type of correlation you have? Like, how is that going to get you to meet your goals? That's something we feel like everybody should know. Um, and whether you do anything or not, whether you work with us or not, I think just having that knowledge gives you the ability to know what questions to ask, what to do going forward. And that's just one of our kind of missions is to bring that clarity and, and then give you, you know, if there's something you need to do, we'll help you with the next step. If not, at least, you know, you have that clarity that you're good. So anyway, thanks for joining in. We'll talk to you later, Jordan. Have a great day. All right. Bye-bye, everyone. All right, thank you.